All right, well, welcome to, I think, about part five of the series we're doing called Why We Do What We Do. If you've been here for that part of the series, you know I've just been talking about things that we do in the church that sometimes they're so common that sometimes we kind of forget what is it all about, what does it really mean. So we talked about communion, we talked about baptism, we talked about what does it mean to deny yourself and carry your cross, and last week we uh, talked about worship. And today I want to talk about why do we stand? Why do we follow that biblical command where God calls us to stand? I want to talk about what does that mean and how does that apply to our life today? You know, usually when I'm preparing a message, I have two different ways that I go. The one way is I first kind of understand my message, what I want to talk about, and I get in a book and I read and I pray and I study and then I kind of come up with my message or two or three days. Then there's the other way that I prepare a message, and that's usually some kind of event happens in my life that week, and it usually kind of causes me to kind of shape my message based on the experience I had this week. So there's usually two different ways I go. The way one I like, because it's predictable. I like that. I like to just study. I like to just sit with a book and read. But then sometimes you have to learn by life. So this week was a life week. And that makes me vulnerable. So, some of you know Sam had a seizure this week. Thursday morning. Usually by Thursday... I have most of my message prepared. I'm kind of to the place where I'm kind of doing pretty good. But this week, I kind of had a busy week. So it was Thursday morning. I had not even started on my message. I finally sat down at about 7.30 in the morning, Thursday morning, sitting there all ready to go. Things are good. I got my outline, got my laptop. I'm ready to Zoom. And Becky calls me about 8 o'clock and says, hey, just to let you know, Sam is on a school bus. He's pulling into his parking lot at school, and he just had a seizure. So, you know, that's tough. It's hard. None of us like to see our kids suffer. Yeah, but we all know what that's like. We all know what it's like to be busy with your day. Things are going one predictable way, and suddenly you get a phone call. And suddenly everything is going to change a little bit for that day and maybe for your future. Suddenly what you thought was kind of predictable is now taking a big change. So that was my first day of sermon preparation. And on one hand, when situations like that happen, when you get that devastating phone call, On one hand, um, I need a tissue. (laughs) I'll be right back. (laughs) I got some right here. Oh. This is awkward. Where should I cry? Now I got to blow my nose in front of me. I'll just go in here. Got a banana. 
So on one hand, when those kind of situations happen to you, on one hand, you experience this grace of God like you've never experienced before. You experience the peace of God that passes all understanding, and suddenly what devastating news that you receive, even though it's hurting, it's painful, there's part of you that is just experiencing God's grace. You can't explain what's happening. It's hard to put words with it, but you just kind of feel peace where you probably never experienced before, and you're kind of wondering, how is this all happening, that even though I'm going through a hard situation, I'm doing okay. I'm really kind of feeling peaceful. But see, then on the other hand, there's a tendency to start asking some kind of dark questions. When you're going through a situation like that, it's easy to kind of start asking why questions. And it really should not be that big of a surprise to us because when Jesus was at his most vulnerable position in the wilderness, after fasting for 40 days, the enemy came to him and tried to lie to him. He tried to take advantage of him at a very vulnerable point in his life. And what the enemy did is he came forward, and the first thing he says, well, if you are the son of God, if you are a child of God, that's the first thing that the enemy says, if you are who you say you are, how can this be happening to you? And that's one of the first things that the enemy kind of likes. He's come, and like he said to Jesus, he said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And see, in other words, what the enemy was saying to Jesus, well, if you really are the Son of God, you should be able to pray for something and miraculously see it happen. And that's what happens when you get a phone call, when you get a hard situation, the enemy says to you, well, if you're a Christian, why is this happening to you? And suddenly you go down that road of thinking, why is this happening to me? Because I think for some of us, we think if we're a Christian, we're just going to be insulated from the attacks of the evil one, and then none of this will ever happen. And then the second thing that the Satan said to Jesus, he said, well, if you are the son son of God, shouldn't you be able to jump off this cliff and you'll be okay? That the angels will protect you? And you start to wonder, well, how come I don't always seem to be protected? How come Sam still had to fall and hit his head? And the enemy starts speaking lies like that to you and sooner or later you're, Like, yeah, what's going on? See, Satan's goal is to always attack us through difficult events that happen in our life. He's always there ready to discourage us. He wants to discourage us at our most vulnerable place because he wants to lead us to be disillusioned. Because he knows if he can get us to be disillusioned with what's going on in our life, the next thing you know, it will be disinterested. And then sooner or later, it's going to lead us to not having any desire to follow Christ or have any desire to even pursue the things of God. See, the enemy always has a plan. He's always targeted to come against us at our most vulnerable time to try to get us to doubt God. In this message, I'm not going to try to explain why hard things happen in life, why difficult things happen in life. This is beyond the scope of this message. I want to talk about the fact today that Satan is a liar. That's the one thing that we know for sure about the evil and that he's a liar. In John 8, verse 44, it says the scripture, Jesus is speaking and saying he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of all lies. This is what Jesus says about the enemy. And so that's why Jesus tells us all through scripture that we have to stand firm against him and against his evil attacks. See, to stand firm means that we hold our position 
and we refuse to surrender or give ground to the evil one. To stand firm means that we recognize the victory that has been won by Christ, and our task is not to win against the enemy because he's already been defeated, but our task is to preserve and maintain what he has done. See, to stand firm is a command given by God that we remember what God has done for us in the past, and we trust in what he's going to do in our future, and we don't allow the enemy to push us backwards. To stand firm is to stand on the, on the promises of God that whatever is going on in our life, that God has a way to invade any circumstance and bring redemption out of any single thing that happens in our life. That's how we stand firm. We stand firm because we know that God is able to do anything through any situation in our life, that we trust that things are going to work out. Last week when, we, uh, when I closed the message, I talked about King Jehoshaphat. I want to bring him up again today because there's a lot in that passage I talked about last week that when I got done with the message, I thought, you know, there's a lot more I could have said about Jehoshaphat. So I want to bring him back up today. And plus, be honest with you, I didn't work much on Thursday. <laughs> that kind of floated away. And Friday, that wasn't a whole lot better. So I'm like, what am I going to do? Woke up yesterday morning, I'm like, more drama. Like, whoa, I got to preach tomorrow. So we're going to go back a little bit to Jehoshaphat because I love the story about Jehoshaphat. And I think it's a beautiful example of standing firm in the promises of God, even though the enemy is coming against you to attack you. And um, we, talk, we hear about Jehoshaphat's... All right. There it is. In 2 Chronicles 17, we're, we're introduced to Jehoshaphat. Actually, he brings him up in the book of uh, Kings, and it talks about Jehoshaphat, that he's actually a grandson of King David. And in 2 Chronicles 17, it says, And the Lord was with Jehoshaphat, because he walked in the earlier ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments, and not according to the practices of Israel. Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah brought tribute to Jehoshaphat, and he had great riches and honor. His heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord, and furthermore, he took the high places in the ashram out of Judah. So we can see here that Jehoshaphat's a good king. He's very consistent about removing anything demonic from the land, anything that would detach the Satan's plans to the land. He wanted it removed. He wanted the land cleansed, and so he did not worship the false gods. However, in verse 18, you switch, you go a chapter forward, and then you realize that he did have a weakness. And in chapter 18, it exposes his one weakness, and that is he wasn't really that satisfied with everything the Lord had given to him. He actually wanted more. He wanted to conquer more territory. So he got together with the king of Israel, and he said to him, hey, why don't we go to war together and let's conquer more land so we can have more. And God, in his faithfulness, he went to Jehoshaphat and said, don't do it. Don't do it. I don't want you to do that because you're going to get in trouble if you do that. But Jehoshaphat and the king of Israel went ahead and did it anyway. And so we turn and we go to chapter 19, and it opens with that Jehoshaphat was almost killed in war because he disobeyed God. But even though he disobeyed God, even though God told him not to do it, God still preserved his life. In, in chapter 19, it opens with the prophets going to Jehoshaphat and saying, hey, okay, this is what you did wrong, but God wants you to correct yourself. I'm kind of paraphrasing a bit because it's a lot to read. 
So then we read in the rest of Jeho- in chapter 19 that Jehoshaphat gets right with the Lord. He actually starts doing some more reforms in the country. He starts selecting new judges to rule the land, and he's really intent on having everybody follow the word of God. So you see that Jehoshaphat did wrong, he was corrected, and now he's back on track with God. So you think, great, everything's going to go perfectly well for him. Until you turn the page and you get to 2 Chronicles verse 20, chapter 20. And it opens by telling us that several of the enemies of Jehoshaphat are coming against him. And you sit there and you wonder, now how is this possible? Because again, we always have that default where we think if we're following the Lord closely, if we're doing what the Lord has called us to do, then why would our enemies come against us? See, actually the enemies, the scripture tells us that the enemies came against Jehoshaphat because they were retaliating against him for the good things that he was doing in the land. And I know some people, you experience that in your own life. You feel like you're following God, you're doing what God has called you to do, and you start to sense resistance from the enemy. You start to feel like he is coming against you, and maybe he's lying to you, or they're playing mind games with you. And some people say, you know what, I'm going to back down. I don't like this warfare that I'm walking into as I'm trying to do what God's called me to do, so I think I'm going to pull back. They think by pulling back that the enemy is not going to attack them anymore or lie to them anymore. But the truth is, when you go back to chapter 18, and Jehoshaphat was being disobedient to God, the enemy wanted to kill him. It doesn't matter if you're following God. It doesn't matter if you're being disobedient to God. The enemy wants to kill you and lie to you. That is the bottom line fact of who the enemy is. He always wants to kill. He always wants to destroy, and it doesn't matter if you're following him, or you're following Jesus or disobeying Jesus. But this is the good news of the message. This is the good news of this whole message here. Yes, we have an enemy that's a liar, but the good news of the message is that we have a God who's more powerful. We have a God who's more powerful than any scheme of the enemy, and we have a God who wants to heal and to deliver and to set free. We have a God that wants to expose the lies that the enemy would speak into our life so we can walk in healing and restoration. And that's what it means to stand firm, is to stand against the lies that the enemy says to you and walk in the freedom that the Lord has given to you. So how did Jehoshaphat, how did he face this bad news that he got? What did he do? You hear that three enemy nations are coming against you. What do you do? How do you survive? Well, the first thing that Jehoshaphat did, we read in, chapter, in verse 3, is he prayed for the Lord's guidance. Good start. The second thing that he, do, he did, he ordered all the people in Judah to fast with him. He said, let's fast. Let's all seek God together. And the third thing that they did was they all prayed together. And the fourth thing they did is they all stood and waited for the Lord together. I like that about Jehoshaphat, that he called a community of people together, and he said, would you pray with me? Would you stand with me? And can we all wait together to see what the Lord is going to do about the situation? See, the enemy's plan would have been to isolate Jehoshaphat and get him all scared and nervous, but God's plan was, no, Jehoshaphat, you stay in a community of people that can love you and support you and encourage you as you go through this difficult situation. And we all know waiting is one of the hardest parts of this whole thing. So after they waited a while, the text tells us that the Spirit of Lord came upon one of the men waiting. And in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 15, we read what God spoke through the prophet to Jehoshaphat. It says, And the prophet said, Listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. 
Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the accent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens up into the wilderness of Jural. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. That's what the prophet spoke to the people as your strategy against the enemy that's coming against you. Now, I like this strategy. And it's an interesting strategy because it says you prepare for battle. If you're going to prepare for battle, that means you've got to put on all your battle clothing. You've got to be prepared to battle as if you are going to be in hand-to-hand combat. As if you are going to physically fight. But the scripture tells us you're not going to really fight. So why even go out to battle if the Lord's going to do all the fighting for you? Why didn't you just stay home? See, in the scripture, what the scripture is trying to tell us here is that God wants you to understand where the enemy is attacking you. He wants you to understand where the enemy is coming into your life. See, when the prophet spoke to Jehoshaphat, he told them where the enemy is coming in, where the, entry, where the enemy's entry point into your life is. And he was saying, Jehoshaphat, you go to that entry point where the enemy's coming into your life and you stand firm. You stand firm against what the enemy did to you when he came into your life. You stand against that lie that the enemy told you. See, psychiatrists will tell you and psychologists will tell you that a person's experiencing a lot of trauma in your life. They'll say, well, go back to where it started from. Go back to where that originally happened in your life. Because you've got to go to that place in your life where maybe some injustice happened against you and you believed a lie or you believe some kind of deception, you've got to stand there firm in the truth of what God says about you. So that's a hard thing for people to take some time that you actually have to figure out where did the enemy come into your life and where did he begin to lie to you in your life that has tricked you and has deceived you the rest of your life. Sometimes we need to identify those places in our life where the enemy has lied to us and he repeats to lie to us over and over again and we've got to get to that place. And say, I understand that as a lie to the enemy that I might have believed my whole entire life. But God says, I want you to go to that place, Jehoshaphat, where the enemy is coming into your territory and stand there and stand firm of the truth that God has for you. See, as I was preparing for this message this morning, I found last time Ron uh, prayed in church, he read this quote, and he put it on a piece of paper, and I had it on my desk, and I saw it this morning. I thought it applied really well. It's a quote by Mark Lasser. It says, At the heart of the gospel is the belief that our brokenness does not separate us from the love of God. It connects us. See, the enemy tries. At the heart of the gospel is a belief that our brokenness does not separate us from the love of God. It connects us. See, a lot of times people believe that the brokenness in our life The things that we did in the past, the hurt that we experienced in the past, all separates us from God and his love. But God always wants to use those hard things in our life to connect us to him, to help us understand his redemption and his restoration and his wholeness and understand the good things that he wants to do for us. That's why God wanted to make sure that the people of Judah understood where the enemy was coming in their land because he wanted to lead them into freedom. 
See, it was important for that nation to understand where the enemy came in so they could stand against the enemy and not let him take up any more territory in their life. And then the sixth thing that they did together was that they praised God together. It says in verse 19, Then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites from the clan of Kothah and Koran stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a loud shout. It's an interesting verb that they use for the word praise here. See, normally throughout this text, it always talks about praise, the, the Hebrew word halah, and this time it uses the word hadah. Hadah is an interesting choice to use for worship or to use for praise because it literally means to throw or to cast out or to shoot arrows. So when the people were praising God, they were using this word for praise, which meant to cast down, to cast out, and to shoot arrows. It's interesting that the arrows that they would shoot would not be from their hands or a bow and arrow. It would just be by them praising God. By praising God, they would actually see their enemies defeated. And then the seventh thing they did together, they believed in God and the prophets. Verse 20 tells us, On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, Listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be able to stand. Believe in his prophets and you will succeed. See, God was saying to the people, look, you, you, it's important that you know the Bible, that you read the Bible, that you believe in God. But the prophet's saying it's also important that you do what it says and that you follow in obedience. It's not just good enough to know what it says, but you also have to follow what it says. And that's why they believed in the prophets. And some of you might say, well, I don't have a prophet. Well, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus is your prophet. He is your prophet, and he is your priest, and he is your king. And because he is your prophet, he speaks to you. He speaks to you through the word of God. He speaks to you through life circumstances. He'll speak to your heart, but he'll also speak to you through the community of people that are in your life. Jesus will always find a way to get a message to you of how to find freedom and how to find yourself to get out of a hard situation when your enemies are coming against you. Jesus is always, always interested in showing us a path to freedom and a path to restoration in our life. And the eighth thing that they did was they walked in praise. In verse 21, it picks up and it says, After consulting with the people, I love that, King Jehoshaphat consulted with the people. The king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord, his faithfulness endures forever. At that very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon and Moab and Mount Sire to start fighting among themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. This is what happened when the people of Judah began to worship the Lord all their enemies started to fight against each other. And what did Jehoshaphat and his army do? They just pulled back and watched. In fact, we go to verse 24, and it tells us that they watched their enemies destroy each other. It said, So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, 
All they saw were dead bodies lying around on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemies had escaped. That is God's plan to set you free from your enemies. That you just praise the Lord, stand firm, and you watch them destroy each other. Now, when we get to Ephesians 6, it does tell us that our war is not against flesh and blood. So we know we're not expecting this kind of warfare that be dead bodies around. But what God's saying is our war is against principalities and powers of darkness. It's against the schemes of the evil one. That is what God wants us to see in our life, that the schemes of the evil one that try to come into our life, they would be destroyed. And we would have the victory. And that we can just stand back and look and we can watch all of our enemies destroyed in our life. That is what God wants to do for us. And that is why he tells us to stand firm. See, the Bible's clear that we're in a battle. We're in a battle that we cannot escape with an enemy that we cannot see. But we're in a battle with a God who has victory. And a God who says all we do is stand firm and enjoy the victory that he has already made. I want to re- read Ephesians 6, 10, verse 20. And just close by talking about the armor that God has given to us, that the provision that God has given us to walk in the truth. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in this heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all power and all supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassadors and changed, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak." See, Paul's using military terms to describe the battle that we're in. And he's using military terms to talk about the armor that we are going to wear. He's going to use this uh, to help us understand how we need to be protected from the enemy. See, the greatest protection that we can have against the enemy is to know the truth. Because the enemy always fights with lies. So this armor of God is all about understanding the truth. So I want to talk about seven pieces of the armor, and some of this is adapted from a list from J.D. Greer. So I just want to go through this with you and talk about these seven pieces of armor. See, the first piece of armor that we put on, and, and Paul's using the illustration like a Roman soldier would wear armor as they would go out in battle. And the first thing he says is to put on the belt of truth, which means to stand firm in your identity in Christ. 
See, Paul tells us to put on the belt of truth because we know that Satan is going to lie to you. And the only way that you can know what is a lie is if you know the truth. See, according to some scholars on you know, Roman soldiers, they would say the belt of truth is the most important part of the armor. Because how that belt of truth would be put on a Roman soldier determines how every other piece of armor is going to fit on you. So if that belt of truth is not fitting properly, it's going to affect every other part of your life. So that's why I think Paul brings this up first. You need to understand the word of God, the belt of truth. You need to understand the word of God and be grounded in the word of God. You need to understand what the Bible says so you're able to understand what lies the enemy's going to throw against you. So I think sometimes we think that to understand is, all, is just all education, just all reading. And that is a very important part of it. But Paul's saying, don't forget the relational part of this with Jesus. It's not just knowing your Bible. Paul really, was aware of the Pharisees they had in Jesus' day that understood the Bible, but they had no personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So what Paul's saying here, he's saying in he, he's saying you have to not just know the Bible, but strengthen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Work on that relationship with Jesus Christ. In John 14, verse 6, I like how it said in the gospel, Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the truth. Truth is found in our personal relationship with Jesus Christ because Jesus is the word of God. You probably heard it said that uh, your identity is based on what the most important person in your life thinks about you. I don't know who said it, but it's kind of a common statement that your identity is based on what the most important person in your life thinks about you. See, the belt of truth will ask us this question. It will say, who is the most important person in your life? Who is the most important person in your life that is determining your identity? Now, hopefully we would all answer and say, Jesus is the most important person in my life, and he is determining my identity. But sometimes that's one you have to wrestle with. It's easy to have something come in between you and a relationship with Jesus that's trying to drive your identity. Because as J.D. Greer says, whatever controls your heart will control your identity. That's why the belt of truth is all about understanding your identity, who you are in Christ, and what the Bible says about you. And then Paul says to take on the breastplate of righteousness, put on God's righteousness. See, it's not just important that you understand your identity, that you understand what the Bible says about you, but you also have to believe in the righteousness that you have through Jesus Christ. Because the Bible, the, the enemy's going to lie to you and tell you that you're no good, you're rotten. The, Bible, the enemy's always going to hold your past against you. And so to put on the breastplate of righteousness saying is I'm going to embrace the identity that I have through Jesus Christ. I'm going to embrace the fact that when God looks at me, he does not see my sin, he does not see my past, he doesn't see my shortcomings, but what he sees is Christ's perfection in me. But see, when you wear the breastplate, breastplate of righteousness it also motivates your life to look more and more like christ it isn't good just good enough that we know the bible have a relationship with jesus but now our life needs to model and reflect what jesus has done in our life and then the third thing that paul talks about is the sandals of peace that we have to share the gospel with other people 
But also, I think Paul tells us to put on the sandals of peace because we have to be prepared to walk in difficult places. Every one of you has probably experienced that. Sometimes life goes in directions that you did not see, you did not expect, and there's times you say, I don't want to go there. But all through Scripture we hear when Jesus calls people, he says, follow me. When God called Abraham, it was follow me, walk. Part of being a follower of Jesus is walking. And sometimes we're going to have to walk in hard places. That's why Paul says, you better put on the sandals of peace so that you're prepared to walk in confidence in any situation that you may face. Then the fourth thing Paul tells us is take up your shield of faith. You need to remind yourself sometime on a daily basis who God is and what the Bible says about us. So we put up the shield of faith to defend ourselves against the fiery darts of the enemy. The Bible takes, talks about the enemy's darts coming against us as lies. And the only thing that we can withstand the lies against the evil one is by faith. And so he tells us to put up that shield of faith. Stand with that shield of faith. And the fifth thing is the helmet of salvation. Paul tells us to take up that helmet of salvation because the enemy wants to control our mind. He wants to control our thoughts. He wants to control our emotion. He wants to control what we think. That's why he came to Jesus in the wilderness and said, are you really the son of God? Are you really who you think you are? Is God really faithful to you? The enemy is always trying to lie to us and try to get us to believe in a deception. So Paul is saying, you've got to put on that helmet of salvation so you, the lies of the enemy are deflected from your thoughts. You need to stand in the truth. And the sixth thing is the sword of the Spirit. We need to be drenched in the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit represents the Bible. It represents understanding the Bible, reading the Bible, meditating on the Bible taking your time to slowly read the Bible, to understand what's in the Bible, to study the Bible, to read the Bible, even when you're like, I'm not exactly sure what this means. I'm not sure what this verse means. But you just faithfully keep reading and trusting that God, that Jesus as your prophet is going to help you understand more and more of the Word. We have to have a good understanding of the Bible and reading the Bible so we know what's lies and what's deception, but we can stand on the truth. And then the final thing is Paul tells us to pray at all times. We need to pray at all times. We don't just pray once in a while, but he tells us to pray without ceasing. He tells us to pray all times in the Spirit, letting the Holy Spirit lead us in our prayers. That's an area that can be a hard thing to do, to pray at all times. But Paul encourages us to do that. He encourages us to be strong and to pray and to seek God. And when the enemy's lying to you, pray and seek God. I've been kind of debating on how to end this service today and kind of end kind of this, this talk. I've been sensing a lot of different ways to go here. But I've been feeling for the last few days, I, I, I want to close with a time of prayer, to pray for people. And we always end it with people can come forward and we have a prayer team up here. If you have any specific prayer 
that you want people to pray for you. So I want to know that that's always available every Sunday. Just come forward and we'll have people up here to pray for you. But as my week unfolded and um, Sam's situation on Thursday morning, I've been feeling a strong nudge in me that let's pray for people that are having, experiencing some neurological challenges. Let's pray for people today that are maybe experiencing anywhere from seizures to strokes to whatever falls under neurology. I didn't prepare on this one. <laughs> but I want to take time to pray for people today that maybe are experiencing any kind of neurological challenges today. And, and you know that, that if that's you. You know that if you're experiencing those kind of situations in your life. I, I want us to pray as a church for you. But I want to follow what they did in King Jehoshaphat. I'm going to ask the, the worship team to come forward. And I know I, I, I probably should have told you what I was going to do, but I didn't know what I was going to do till now. So I wonder what if they could just lead us in the first verse of your last song. And let's, let's sing together the first verse of that song. It's a beautiful song. Yeah, that last one, Christ alone. I'm going to have them lead us in the first uh, verse together. And you just, you just stay in your seats. You can stand, I guess, if you want. And then after they sing us the first verse, and then I, I, want, I want to strategically pray for anybody who's experiencing neurological challenges. stand firm just because our prayer requests got answered. We stand firm because of Christ. And so I'm going to ask, and let's take a little humility, if you are experiencing any neurological challenges, and you want prayer, I just ask that you stand up. And you can stand up, and I want us to pray for you as a church and as a community together. So if any of you are experiencing neurological challenges or health-related issues, I encourage you to stand up. And as a church,
church, we're going to pray together. We have Tammy standing up in the back and Lavonia and Sam and Eric. If anybody else is experiencing things, migraines, other areas in your life, we see Tammy and more people standing up. those of you who are standing around those who are standing up just lay hands on them if you feel led to do so do just lift up these people to you before before you today and father we thank you that you are the god who created them each and every one of them and lord you know exactly how you created their brains to function and how you created their neurology to function and lord this has been we have just felt like even before this thing happened with sam lord we have felt like there has been an attack against the people of this church with regard to neurology and neurological issues. And Father, we just come before you and we say, this church is going to stand firm against these neurological issues. Father, we ask that your spirit of healing would come in and would touch each and every one of these people who are standing up. Lord, you know what it is that you have created that is not working exactly correctly. And Father, in the name of Jesus, we're asking for your Holy Spirit to sweep through and begin to set in order those things that are not in order. Father, we ask that you're... um that, that you would just give us strategy of how to continue to pray against this, how to continue to stand against this. And Lord, we just say as a church, we are going to stand against the enemy from bringing any more of this into our congregation. Lord, we just ask for your, uh, for your blessing on each and every one of these. And Lord, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would move in ways among them. Lord, we're just and, and we do just come against those neurological issues and we say no to you on the authority that Jesus Christ has given us. And Father, we thank you that you are faithful to show Jehoshaphat where the enemy was coming against them, where the, where the enemy had entered into their life to try to come against them in war. And so Father, we pray that for each person here, that, Lord, if you're going to heal them through medical uh, reasons or doctors, Lord, that you would give the doctors wisdom to know how it is that they're dealing with these challenges. That what's ever hidden in darkness, Lord, would be exposed to light so they could walk in the healing that you have for them. Father, we do just pray, Lord, for a miracle to happen for Eric and for Livonia and Tammy. Lord, we pray that, Lord, for John in the back. Lord, we pray that for Alberta and for Tammy and Larry in the back, Lord. We pray for him. Lord, we pray for every person here today, Lord, that they would be strengthened. Lord, every one of us is dealing with something in our life. Every one of us is dealing with things that we wish were different. But Lord, you told us to stand firm. So Lord, I pray that over this church, Lord, that we would supernaturally have the ability to stand firm.
that we could stand firm in the truth of who you are and what you're going to do in our life and that we would not give the enemy any access into our life. Father, I pray for your empowerment for each person here, Lord, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on them in a powerful, powerful way that they could stand firm. And Father, I pray for our kids upstairs. Lord, I know a lot of kids struggle with ADD and ADHD and and related challenges. Father, I pray healing for them. I pray, Lord, I thank you for the creativity of our kids, and I pray, Lord, freedom for any of them, Lord, that um, maybe ADD or ADHD or asthma or anything, Lord, might be... um, have much too much power in their life, Lord. I pray, Lord, for victory for them. Lord, I pray for our kids upstairs, Lord, that they would be strong in body and soul and spirit. 